0: So how we doing, Metro? Boy, am I glad that you're here. If you are joining us live in the room or at one of our campuses via video or on the internet, we are so glad that you're here. We think you are in the right place. Now, we have been talking about this idea that there are a bunch of people behind the scenes, this whole idea of the the behind-the-scenes type of crowd that tends to move things forward in this world. And what's interesting is that this is where most of us are. We're the people that appear at the end of the credit roll, not at the front of the film with your name in lights, right? I mean, not too many of us are changing governments or moving armies or creating worldwide number one hits or changing the fashion trends of the world. We, most of us, live kind of quiet and unassuming lives, don't we? We kind of blend in behind the scenes. And I got this whole idea uh, from a little series that Pastor Louis Giglio taught called The People of the Fine Print. And it was so impacting on me about this idea of the power of behind the scenes living that I just wanted to share a whole bunch of it with you. So I hope that you've been getting something from this. And we're going to thank Pastor Louis for this. So say thanks, Pastor Louis. Thanks, Pastor Louis. He's great. He's unbelievable. Uh, but it's true. Every movement, and every invention, every great thing in human history, we have a way as a society, as a culture, to push a name to the top, to put one name in lights above all other names. But but the truth is, is that there's an army behind the scenes making that happen. It takes an army to move anything great forward in life. It really does. Hey, I want to show you a couple pictures. Uh, I think you might find this interesting. Some of you guys remember way back in your life, you went to this thing called prom, and it was a big deal to you, and you spent a lot of money at that. Me? No. No. You know, there's some people go, I'm not going broke over this whole deal. And, and so uh, if you look closely, you'll see that some people said, no, I think we can get this whole thing done for about 20 bucks, really. And if you, uh, if you look closely, you'll see a common thread in these little pictures. What do you see? Duct tape. Duct tape. Yeah, these outfits are completely made of duct tape. And I think that's a little bit crazy, but they're like, hey, we're gonna get this thing done for, with like two rolls and 20 bucks, and it's gonna be great, okay? Uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's actually an international prom outfit duct tape competition every year. It is international. It is like people all over the globe do this and you can go online and check it out. There's all kinds of websites that will actually help you to learn how to do your own duct tape, you know, outfit. And I was thinking about this because my daughter's getting older and she's like, you know, she's got these big lofty wedding dreams and I'm thinking, honey, we ain't spending no thousands of dollars. It's 20 bucks and a couple rows of duct tape (laughs) and this thing will be done. It'll be fine. But, But you know, anybody in the room ever use duct tape? I think duct tape has been used for just about every single fix-it thing in the history of the world, right? I mean, it is everywhere, and I don't know if you've ever thought about duct tape, but of course, there is a story behind the story. There's a story behind the scenes for everything that's great in this life, right? Including duct tape. Now, this is amazing, but the story that centers around duct tape actually centered around a woman that you probably never heard of. Her name is Vesta Stout. Any Vesta Stout fans in the room? No, nobody's shouting for Vesta, uh, but here's her backstory, because in the 1940s, uh, she was a mother in 1940s, and she had two boys that signed up for the military to do their part in the Great War, uh, World War II, and, and just like millions of other women, Vesta ended up getting a job in, in the American factories as part of the war effort. I mean, this was just what the American women did. For the first time in mass quantity, they were going to work in the factory, And Vesta got a job at a factory called the Green River Ordnance Plant near Dixon, Illinois. Uh, And she felt that she was literally helping her sons war, She felt that literally she was helping our servicemen in war. And so Vesta's job at the Green River plant was to inspect and to pack cartridges used in what they call rifle grenades. Uh, We call these uh, grenade launchers now, but essentially they were called rifle grenades. And both the Army and the Navy used them. And her sons actually used these products. And so these cartridges were packed 11 in a box. And then, of course, the boxes were folded over. They were taped shut with a thin piece of uh, essentially paper tape. And then they were dipped in wax in order to keep the moisture and the water away from them because they were live ammunition. And so uh, when the men got to the front, or when these boxes got to the front and the men tried to use these, there was a problem. The problem was is that the tape was so thin that in the heat of battle, they would, the, the goal was to rip the tape and it would kind of bust the center seam of the wax off and they could open the box and get to the munitions. But the problem was the tape kept breaking. It was thin, and it it simply didn't work for the job. And literally, our men, think about this, in the heat of battle, when they need the munitions the most, they were unable to get to them, and our men were literally losing their lives over this. And Vesta hears back from her own sons that this was happening on the front. And so she decides that she's going to do something about this, and and she thinks, and she thinks, and she thinks, and she comes up with a totally different idea. Now I want you to think about what would motivate a mother for this. I mean, you are part of the war effort and your children are using the very products that your plant is producing on the front lines in the heat of battle. And so she's motivated by this and she comes up with this revolutionary idea that if we could take a piece of thin cloth and make it into a water resistant tape it would be strong enough to break that seal of the wax and hold its uh, grip at the same time. It would be the perfect product. Well, she goes to her supervisors at the plant, she tells them about this idea, and everybody, she says, thought it was a great idea. And everybody was high-fiving and says, this is great. Months and months go by, and nothing ever gets done. Nobody changed anything. There was no product development. And so again, she's a mother, her sons are at war and she's very concerned about this. And so she does what any good mother would do. She goes up the chain of command and literally writes the president of the United States, FDR. She writes a letter to him and surprisingly, almost miraculously, it gets through to FDR and it falls on very favorable ears because FDR also had sons at war. And so his heart was moved by this, and what's interesting is that uh, she writes her letter on February 10th, 1943 to FDR, which you can go online and find it for yourself. It's amazing. The letter was very detailed about the problem and about the potential solution. She had diagrams it's all right online, you can see it's all it's amazing. And so she writes the president of this, and the president says, it's a great idea." So here's the, what happens and uh, she writes a letter on February 10th, 1943, and it was only about a month and a half later, which is amazing for the American government to do anything this quick, but she gets a reply back on March 26, 1943 from the War Production Office in Washington, D.C., and they say, your idea is amazing. As a matter of fact, it is so amazing that we've already sent it into production. We've contracted with a company called Johnson & Johnson. Now, maybe you've heard of Johnson & Johnson, right? Maybe you've used their cotton swabs or you have used their toothpaste or their deodorant or something. But Johnson & Johnson gets the credits for this idea called duct tape. But there's a story behind it. The story is really Vesta Stout. And, And I want you to think about those kids who go to prom all these years later and they're wearing a duct tape outfit. And I'm wondering if they ever thought that there was a story behind the story. I wonder if they ever thought that Vesta Stout would somehow be connected to their story. Because there's always somebody behind the scenes, right? And, and that's how it works in our world. That's how it works also in the kingdom of God. There are always going to be these few visible people that going to get lifted to the top. But in the kingdom of God, it does something different. It records the the people who are behind the scenes, this nameless, faceless army that make great sacrifices because in the kingdom of God, it is different. In the kingdom of God, it is not built on the talents and giftedness of a few, but it is built on the sacrifices of the many. Absolutely, there are visible people who get lifted up, no doubt about that. But the viability of this thing called the church is not built on a few that stand on these stages. It gets built from men and women answering the small and subtle call of God in their life, responding to his leadership, responding to his spirit. So if you've been around in this little series so far, you know that we have been referencing back to a little book in the Bible called the book of Colossians. Now, some of you who have been in the life of our church for a while know that we spent several months this last year inside of this little book called the Tupperware Gospel. And if you haven't seen that, you should go back and check that out. Um, But we've been just kind of dipping back into this book because I really think it it serves as an incredible example because if you were to go to Colossians chapter 1, the very first book, it just opens up by saying, Paul, there's that high visible person. It says, Paul, uh, 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 an apostle by the will of God, called by the will of God. And, And so it's like Paul, this superstar, Paul, this great planter of churches or starter of churches, Paul, this superstar Christian preacher, speaker guy who, when he comes to town, everybody comes and listens. It says, Paul, and I think there's a reason that this high visibility guy starts this off because sometimes high visibility people are needed to move ideas forward. But quickly we learned that there's another part of this book, a whole section of this book that's on the back end. It's like the credits rolling in a movie that says, yeah, there's, there's visible people. But the, but the viability of the church comes at the back end from all the people who are nameless and often faceless, who don't get their names in lights. They're the ones who serve relentlessly to make this thing happen happen. Right? You all hear me so far? Yep. And, and so here's what I would like to do if it's okay with you. I'd like to dip again back into the book of Colossians in chapter four. And I want to introduce you to another um, behind the scenes kind of guy. And this guy is amazing. I, I think I think a whole bunch of people are going to like name your sons after this guy when we're done, because this guy is absolutely amazing. You ready to meet another behind the scenes person? Anybody in the room? Yes, I think so. And so the book of Colossians chapter four, verse seven, it kind of launches out with this. And you may remember this part because we read this before. It says Tychius or Tychius, we'll go with Ty because we like Ty. And it says, he will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and a fellow servant of our Lord Jesus. And right there, that is a sweet description. If you're going to have a description about you, I'm thinking this is like a triple threat description. This is pretty good. It says that he is not only a dear brother, he is a Christian, but he is a minister. And it doesn't say he's just any average ordinary minister, but that he's faithful. Not that he's perfect, but that he's faithful. And he's trying to get it right. And he serves with a humble heart before God. He is a servant of God. Not a bad description, Ty. Not a bad description. Way to go. Y'all with me on that? But we're going to leave Ty in the behind-the-scenes mode right now, and he's okay with that. Uh, and we're going to introduce you to a new character because it goes on, and it says this. He goes, I am sending him. Now, remember, Paul is sending Tycheus with somebody else back from Rome to the church of the Colossians or to the Colossian church. And it says, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your what? Your your hearts. And here it is for today. You ready for the new guy? Y'all ready for this? Y'all? And here's what it says. Here's what it says. He says, he is coming with Onesimus. Now, some of y'all who've been around church life, you may have heard that name before, and you go, I think I've heard that name. It rings a bell, but you may not know the full backstory of his name, but we are given just a little description of who this guy is here, and he is amazing. His description is really great, too. It says, he's coming with Onesimus, and he is our faithful and dear brother. Way to go, Onesimus. That's, like, big. Nobody, no amens for Onesimus? Anybody in the room? Listen, he is our faithful and dear brother. So what do we learn from this little tiny statement about Onesimus? This is amazing. It says uh, he, ha- he is like in the inner circle of Paul. He's just not showing up on Sunday morning, sitting in the back. He- he's in the game. He is he's in the inner circle. He is a faithful and dear brother. He's just not like a nameless guy out there. He somehow has worked into the inner crowd. He's serving in such a way that, that he is known as a faithful and dear brother. And, and, and friends, listen. We also know that he takes his faith seriously. Everybody look at me for a second. I don't know what your faith looks like. I don't know if you have faith in Christ. But let me tell you something. If you bear the name Christian in your life, then you need to take your faith serious. You need to develop your faith. You need to strengthen your faith. You need to walk deeply with your God. You need to take your next steps with him. Onesimus does this and he's called our dear brother. He's called faithful because he takes his faith seriously. And so in order to kind of go to the next level because uh, to to get to Onesimus, we need to take a little side trip for a minute. You guys okay with taking a little side trip? So we've spent our time in the book of Colossians and some of you are going, yeah, I know about the book of Colossians. It's somewhere in the New Testament. I've read a little bit about it. I've heard about it. I know about it, but I think we need to go back for a little refresher. And I just want to give you a very quick overview because you're going to see it ties directly into the life of Onesimus. And this is amazing. It really is. One of the things that we learn from the book of Colossians with a careful reading is you're going to discover that there was two major problems going on in the, in the Colossian church, in the church that met at the city of Colossae. Two major things that were going on. One is that there was relational friction inside of the church. Now, I mean, that's never happened in our church or anything like that. I, I understand it. But, uh, but it happens sometimes in churches, right? It happens anytime you get people together. Am I right? You, am I right? So there's relational friction going on. We're going to learn about that. But there's also another thing happening. There's this thing called theological drift. So there's relational friction on the inside and there's theological drift from the outside there's pressure to change and so what i want to do is i want to remind you of what was going on in this church the theological drift that was happening you see one of the things as we studied through the book of colossians we came up with this little phrase it was jesus plus nothing jesus plus nothing is your salvation it's your hope it's your relationship with God. It takes Jesus. You want them to get to know God, you get to know Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing. But one of the things that we learn in the Colossian church is that there was uh, four different thoughts that were coming their way. People who were trying to pressure them out of Jesus plus nothing. So the first one, and you may want to write this down, was this idea in theological drift that was saying that it's Jesus is good, Jesus plus, and here's what the plus was. They were going, Jesus plus, you've got to obey the laws of the Old Testament. Jesus plus, you got to do all the things that they used to do in order to please God. And then if you do all those things and you still like Jesus, then all of a sudden you're going to be right with God. And Paul comes along and goes, that's crazy. Because it is grace and grace alone that saves you. Anybody? It is grace that comes from God. It is the goodness that comes from God that saves you. And Paul comes along and says, it's not Jesus plus the Old Testament. It is Jesus plus nothing. And I kind of like that math. I kind of like that. And then he says the number two thing. We learned the number second thing, theological drift that was happening in this church was that people were coming along and saying, Jesus is good and Jesus is a great teacher and you should get to know Jesus. But, but, but there's also this other knowledge out there. There are these secret mystical things, these spiritual things that if you light enough candles and if you sing enough songs, if you get around the right people and the right teachers and uh, that somehow God will reveal something new to you, something private to you, something mysterious to you. And once you know that mysterious stuff, then you'll be saved. You'll be right with God. And, and Paul comes along and goes, what are you talking about? It's Jesus plus what? Nothing. It's Jesus plus Nothing. And Paul says, that's the math we're going to stick with. It is Jesus plus nothing. And these other people come along and then they start saying this. They start going, here's the third thing. They start going, you need to worship angels. You need to worship supernatural things. There are these people who come along and they think they're like healers and they got some sort of magic power from God or something. And they expect the people to kind of worship them like they were God. And Paul comes along and goes, what are you crazy? We're not going to worship angels. We're going to worship the God who created angels right? Why would you stop down there? We're going to go for the top, right? It's Jesus plus nothing. You don't need to worship angels to be right with God. You don't need to worship people. You don't need to follow around thinking, oh, this guy is so great. This girl is so great. They can, they can walk on water. Paul says, it's Jesus plus no one or nothing. That's the math. And then there's a the fourth thing that came along. we got to hit this real quick, was that there was Uh, this group of people that were going, well, Jesus is really great and Jesus is really cool and he's a great teacher and people really like him and all that, but he's not God. But he's not deity. He is not God made flesh. He is not Jesus, the son of God who made his dwelling among us. No, no, Jesus is just a good teacher. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. He is the equivalent of God made flesh. He is God in the flesh. He is God in the body, as I like to say, right? Right? And so he says it is Jesus plus what? Nothing that makes you right with God. And so you have this theological drift going on, but then there's also this relational friction that's going on. And here's what we need to know from, uh, about Onesimus, because there's a little bit more to this story that we've got to uncover. So we're going to go back to verse 9. It says, he, Tychius, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear what? brother. Then he gives us one little line. He says, who is one of you? They will tell you everything that is going on here. Now here's what's really interesting. Uh, they, Tychius and Onesimus, they are from the church of Colossae. He is one of them. They, they're from that church in, in, uh, literally on the other side of the Roman world. And now they're in Rome and they're hanging out with Paul. And so Paul is thinking about his little church at Colossae. And Paul is in Rome in prison under house arrest because he's waiting his, uh, his trial before, before Caesar. Because why? He preached the gospel boldly. Now he's in prison for his faith, for preaching, right? Because listen, when, when you're Caesar and you think you're God, and somebody else comes along and says, No, you're not. Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is God made flesh. They don't take too kindly to that. And so they arrest Paul, they put him in prison. And now somehow we're going to learn uh, that they connect with Paul, Tycheus, and uh, Onesimus. And he's from the church that Paul has all these concerns about theologically. You see the connection starting? He's like, whoa, this is strange. And there's something more that we uncover about Onesimus. We had to dig a little bit deeper. If you uh, had an old-fashioned Bible of sorts, you would turn a couple pages to your right and you would see there's another little book called Philemon. And we're gonna learn something about how Philemon and Onesimus connect together. Listen to this. Onesimus, this is gonna blow your mind right now. Onesimus was a slave of a rich man in Colossae named Philemon. Onesimus was his slave. Now, some people go, well, that's kind of strange to be in the Bible like that, but let me tell you something. In this day, in this age, in the Roman Greek world, slavery was everywhere. It was in every household, in every factory, in every uh, house business. Uh, slavery was just part and parcel to the culture of its day. And so we learn something even crazier than, than the connection between Philemon in the scripture and Onesimus. Here's what we learn: is that One- uh, Philemon, was one of the elders, one of the leaders in the church of Colossae. And now you can see the friction, right? you can see the tension, but somehow we're not exactly sure. What we learn about Onesimus is that through the scriptures, we learn that somehow there was a disagreement, somehow there was a fight, somehow there was a relational break and Onesimus bolts the city of Colossae and heads halfway across the Roman Empire and he lands in the town of Rome to basically start a new life. He he, he basically breaks free of his slavery and now he's hiding in Rome thinking he can just kind of blend in to everything that's going on around there. And somehow we learn, we're not exactly sure how it happened, but somehow we learn that Paul, who is in Rome under house arrest, meets Onesimus in Rome and their lives cross. Now what's interesting is we really don't know how they met because Paul is in prison. So this could mean that because he was from Colossae, it could mean that he heard about this guy named Paul, and his teacher or his old master Philemon had told him about him. So now he sought Paul out and was visiting him in jail. Who knows? Or maybe he was incarcerated. Maybe he goes to Rome and figures I can't make a living, and so he steals something. Maybe they arrest him and they throw him in jail right next to Paul. Or maybe, or maybe even he was hired by the jail to help take care of the prisoners, and he just intersects with Paul. But all we know is that these lives came. And the thing we know about Paul is like, no matter what he's doing, no matter where he goes, he's preaching, what is the word? Boldly. Anybody remember this? He's preaching boldly. He's like at Taco Bell, I'll take a taco and a burrito and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. (laughs) That's just what he does. That's just what he does. And so he's sharing and he's sharing and he's sharing. And so somehow, listen, he starts to share the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the redemption of sin in Jesus. He starts to share this with Onesimus and Onesimus, Onesimus has this life-transforming faith that comes into him. He gives his heart to Jesus and everything begins to change. But Onesimus is like, well, I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here and I'm really happy about all this Jesus stuff, but I'm not going back to Colossae. And Paul says, oh yeah, you are. Oh Yeah, you are. Paul is going to send him back. And I want you to think about this. Here comes this runaway slave. He's going to come back with this letter, this book that we now know, the book of uh, Colossians. He's going to come to the church leaders and he's going to open the front doors of the church off Eureka Road. He's going to walk in. And can you imagine the relational friction that's my runaway slave. And I want you to think about the intensity of this moment. In Roman days, you know this from history, that a master owned his slave. It was a matter of life and death. And Onesimus is probably freaked out, going, if I go back, he's going to have me arrested and beat and probably executed because that was the way of Rome, right? And so you can just imagine just how crazy relational this is. But Onesimus's story is in the scripture to teach us some things. And so here's what I would like to do, if it's okay with you. I want us to turn over a couple pages, or if you've got a smartphone, I would love for you to dial up the book of Philemon in the Bible. It's one of the shortest books in the Bible. It's only one chapter long. And here's what we're gonna do, church. We are gonna, we're just gonna, at both of our campuses, we're just gonna read it together, the whole book of Philemon. Is that cool? Okay, we're going to read, so, and this is a really good thing, because there are people out there that say, oh, Metro doesn't even believe the Bible, or teach the Bible, and you can say, you're crazy, because at our gatherings, we read entire books all at one time, okay? And so here, here I'm just going to read the entire book of Philemon to you, okay? And we're going to learn some things. Number one, it says this, in verse one, uh, chapter one, you don't even call it a chapter verse, you just call it Philemon one, because there's only one chapter, okay? It's Philemon one, that's how we say it. And here's what it says. Paul, he's the visible guy again. It says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy's right there behind the scenes. And to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So he's writing this letter. He's handed it to Onesimus. He's handed it to Tychius. And he's like, you you gotta go deliver this. You gotta go take it to him. My email's down. I don't trust the post office, right? And, And so... He writes to Philemon, and it says, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, our sister, and to Archibus, uh, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. And I love that. There's some more behind-the-scenes people right there. Isn't that great? Somebody needs to go, amen. These are the people that moved it forward. Amen. They were like, wow, they were rocking. They had a church that met in their home. They had a life group that met in their home, and I think that's pretty amazing. And we just walk right over that. That's crazy. And here's what it says verse three, it says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then here's the deal. And he starts to kind of lift up Philemon right here. He goes, verse four. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. He's like, every time I'm talking about the church that meets in the city of Colossae, I'm hearing about all that you're doing Philemon. And it's amazing. You're encouraging people. You're working it with people. You're out there. You're doing all that you can to move the kingdom of God forward. And he says, I remember that. And I hear about." that and I celebrate that and that's an amazing thing. And then he says this in verse six he says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective and deepening your under- ineffective and deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Now I pause for a second. That line because now we know the overview of the story of Coloss- uh, Colossae, the Colossian church, that line jumps off the pages to you now, doesn't it? Because what does he say? He goes, I hope that you know that it's Jesus plus what? Nothing. Because every good thing you need is found in Jesus. Do you see the backstory now? Somebody needs to get a little excited. I get excited about this. Because you're connecting the pages together. You're connecting the stories together. And so you have to know the story of the church of Colossae to understand that this, this Philemon character was working in the church of Colossae and he's reminding them that there is a theological drift and you can't drift. You got to stay on Jesus. Everything good in your life is gonna come from staying on Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's pretty sweet. And then it says this, verse seven, your love, he, he, he loves Philemon. He, he, he feels loved by Philemon. He has this relationship with Philemon. He's like, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, you have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. And so here comes Paul's request. Ready for this? This is so good. Everything changes in this moment. It says, therefore, you ready for this? Therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do. Basically, he's like, I'm the boss of the operation. Did you forget whose name came first? You forget that this is an apostleship appointed by God by the will of God. Did you forget that I am your spiritual father? I could, I could, I could tell you what to do. I could leverage myself and make you do something. But then he says this, this is so good. He says, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Now, you see what's coming here? You, you, feel, you see what's coming? Maybe you've had somebody do this before where they come to you and they say, well, I could just make you do this, but I want it to be your decision, so I'm going to spend the next 10 minutes uh, leveraging myself against you, making you feel so bad that you don't want to do it that you actually now want to do it, and you're going to do it because I really do want you to do it, but I'm just not going to ask you to do it directly. I'm going to let you come up with the idea, but I'm going to plant all the ideas in your head. Right? Anybody have a mom? Anybody have a mom? This is how it works. Listen. Hey, honey, how you doing? Good. I need some help this, this Sunday afternoon after church. I, I, I need somebody to come over. I mean, I know you're busy. I'm not going to ask you. I'm just saying, I, I just, I'm, I'm just needing somebody. I mean, I am your mother. I did give birth to you. I've sacrificed for you your entire life. I changed all your, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying. You could come on over. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to ask you, but you're the reason I'm poor right now, you know. <laughs> and so the leverage game right and so paul makes this appeal out of the basis of love sort of right listen to what it says next this is amazing it goes it is a, <laughs> it is as none other than paul he goes i'm not writing to you as like some big shot i'm just paul I'm just Paul. I'm an old man, and now I'm in prison for Christ Jesus. I'm just Paul. I'm just in prison. Like I'm not free. You're free. But I'm not free. I'm, I'm here. I'm in chains. I'm waiting my death sentence, literally. I mean, you're free. You could go to Texas Roadhouse tonight. I cannot go to Texas Roadhouse. I could, like, I'm here, but you could go on vacation. I'm not, and I'm old. Did I tell you I'm old? I've been doing this. I am old enough to be your father. I am old enough to have leverage over you. Matter of fact, you owe an awful lot to me. So he's just kind of ramping it up, right? And then verse 10, listen, he goes, I'm just writing you as Paul, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I'm old, that I appeal to you for my son. Listen to the words. I'm appealing to you for my son, Onesimus. He's not his son, but he's come like a son to him while I'm in chains. You see, because somehow when they connected, Onesimus found the grace of God and was like so grateful that suddenly he's building back into Paul's life and serving Paul in such a big way, and he's become like his son, They've connected in such a powerful way. It's like he's, they're, they're, they're like son and father now. And so he's saying like, hey, uh, Philemon, if you like me at all, if we are connected at all, I'm like your spiritual father. And this guy's I'm sort of like this guy's spiritual father. And so you guys are kind of on equal terms here and we need to get this together. Then he says this, who became my son while I was in change. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to both you and to me. You thought he was good as a slave. You wait till he comes to you as a brother. Because it's totally better to be a brother than a slave. Come on, you all right? And then it says this, verse 12, I am sending him to you who is my very heart. He's like, you know, if you like me, if you know my heart, he is my heart. He represents me. And then it says this, I'm sending him back to you. And then verse 13, I would like to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me because you've helped me so much, Philemon, in the past. And Onesimus is now helping me. But I'm not going like, to leverage that. I'm going to send him back to you. I'm going to send him back to you. But I did not want to do anything. Listen to this, verse 14. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, So that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but it would be completely voluntary. (laughs) Remember, the stakes are sky high for Onesimus. Paul, who hears from God, says, you send Onesimus back to his town where he's a runaway slave. It could cost him his life. And so Paul is very concerned about him. And then it says this, Perhaps, verse 15, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you may have him back forever, no longer as a slave. Somebody needs to write a song about like not being a slave anymore or something like that, right? That's amazing. Because he says, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but he's even dearer to you, isn't he really? I mean, you're probably mad at him, but in your heart, you know that you miss him. There was something special here before and somehow it's broken. Receive him back, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Listen to this, verse 17, it says, so if you consider me a partner, if I'm anything to you at all, (laughs) welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he's done any wrong to you or owes you any money, charge it to me. Some scholars think that there was this This break came from some sort of financial impropriety for Onesimus. Maybe he stole something or took something from Philemon and that made him run. Uh, And Paul's like going, you know, I know the whole backstory. We don't get to know the whole backstory, but he's like, I know the backstory. There's something going on here. We're not on the inside of it, but Paul is. And and he says, now listen, I want you to forgive him. And if there's any debt, I'll pay his bill when I come. Because he's that important to me. But you, I want you to forgive him. I want you to take him in. And then he says this, I, I, Paul, and I'm writing this with my own hand and I will pay the bill. I will pay it back to you. Not to mention that you owe me your very self, right? I'm not like trying to leverage anything here, but just to remind you that the only reason you know Jesus is because of me. And Jesus has changed your whole life. And he's secured a spot in eternity for you. So I'm thinking... You may want to consider this. He goes, I do not wish, brother, that I might have, he goes, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. In other words, I'm hoping that I've encouraged you somehow in the faith, right? So I'm hoping that I have some sort of leverage with you. But he says, refresh my heart in Christ, confident in, of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. In other words, I know you're going to see it my way. I know you're going to come around. I know you're going to forgive him and you're going to move on and you're going to do something even more than I ask for him because that's just the kind of guy you are, Philemon. And that is amazing. And so... Onesimus' story goes into the story of God. And I think we learned some things from his story. And there's a couple things that you just may want to jot down because I think this is revolutionary. I think this is life-changing. And the very first thing we learned from Onesimus' story is that, is, is that don't ever count God out. Don't ever count God out. I mean, some of the people in this room, you have been at the point of breaking and you thought there was nowhere you could go, that there was nothing good that was gonna come out of or into your life. Your marriage was at the end. Your finances were at the end. Your hope was at the end. You were depressed or lonely or broken, uh, confused in life. Don't count God out. He changes the hearts of men. Don't ever think that you have gone too far or become something that you can never return back from. I mean, you think about Onesimus. He's like, I'm a slave. Where do I go from here? There's nowhere I can call home anymore. If anybody finds out who I am, I am in trouble in the world of Rome. Don't count God out ever. You might think your circumstances are impossible. You might think there is no way that anything good is gonna come through you ever again. But God doesn't forget you. He remembers you. And if you're careful not to forget him, if you're careful to lean into him, if you're careful to call on his name, if you're careful to follow his leadership, no matter how far you have sunk, no matter how far you have slid backwards, listen, look at me, friends. There can be a turnaround because God doesn't forget you. And if you follow him, if you lean into him, there will be a moment where he, he takes you from here to over here. He takes you from where you spent a whole bunch of your life, and you don't want to be there. You want to be over there. But God says, if you are careful not to forget me, if you're careful to follow me, I will take you from where you are to where you need to be. And I can do something in you that you cannot do in yourself. Don't ever count God out. Friends, I want you to think about this. Do you think for a moment that Onesimus, the slave, the slave, thought that 2,000 years ago, people in Downriver, Michigan would be hearing his his name. Do you ever think that? Like, this guy would be freaked out knowing this because he thought he was a slave with nothing to offer, no place in our society. And here we are talking about him. Do you think for a moment that Onesimus would have thought that his story would be used in the church that is filled with relational friction? To bring reconciliation between people. I want to take a little sidebar real quick. Because you know that when you're in church, there's going to be people problems, right? I mean, you might be here because there were people problems in your last church. and Maybe you came from another church and you're here now. But let me tell you something. If you're here now, there will be people problems here. Because wherever there are people, there are people problems. Right? And if you're like, like maybe the only time that's not going to happen is if I, you're in church by yourself. Like if you're in church by yourself, you're probably home free for a little while, but eventually you're going to have people problems because you're the problem. We're all the problem. Every one of us. And so you can run from place to place, but I'm just thinking off the top of my head a little bit here. If people problems can't be fixed in the church, where can they be fixed? If we can't find grace... In the church, where can we find grace? If we can't find forgiveness and ask for forgiveness in the church, where can we do that, friends? If we can't find hope for renewal in the church, where can we find it in this world? Oh, there's people problems in the church. But this is the place to fix them, to work through them. Not to just run, but to work through them. And Philemon must be freaking out in heaven <laughs> or uh, Onesimus must be freaking out in heaven to know that his story is helping to mend relational problems in the church. It's amazing. It's a, I wonder if you ever thought that his name <laughs> would begin the end of slavery in the Roman world because you do realize this is the first time in human history that it's recorded that a, an influential person tells another influential person that he should let his slave go. And that begins to change the world. How amazing is that, friends? Amen. Anybody with me? And so we learn from Onesimus is don't count God out. Don't count him out. He's not done with you. If you're not done with him, he is not done with you. Here's the second thing I think you might want to write down. It's this, is that the world can write laws, but Jesus changes the heart. Now, follow me on this. The kingdoms of this world are subservient to the kingdom of God. Woo, that's big. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Let Let me tell you something. The world says it's okay to have slavery, especially at this time. The world says it's okay to have bigotry and prejudice, even to this very day. And you can hide it in your heart. But the kingdom of God comes along and says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God, we are all even at the cross. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. That all men were created equal. And not only created equal, but they are equal standing with God. And you should treat them as such. Let me tell you something, friends. Uh, the, the, the spirit of the law that God gives is a moral law that trumps physical law. Where the law says you can stop here, God's law says, no, 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 we're gonna go deeper than that. We're gonna to go to the heart of the matter, right? You, you see, in the world, you can mask your anger, you can mask your hate, but God deals with it on the inside. God wants to deal with it because he changes hearts, not law. Now, what's interesting about this is Paul knows that his mission is not to change the legal structure of Rome. He has no authority to do that. He has got no power to do that. Heck, he is in a Roman jail at this point. But he knows that if he simply preaches the gospel of Jesus boldly, that that will lead to the hearts of men and women changing. And when the hearts of men and women change, guess what happens, friends? The laws of the land eventually begin to change and the attitudes of culture begin to change with it. Amen. Amen. You see, when we look around at our world, it is easy to go. The world is crazy. The world is out of control. The world is going nowhere good. And it's easy to forget that you and I hold the hope of the world, which is the message of Jesus. It's easy for us just to go, hands off, who cares? Let them all go to hell. but we hold the message that has the ability to change the hearts of men and women. Amen. Let me tell you something, friends. Over 50 years ago in our nation, praise God, we, we changed the laws. Oh, sure, there was no longer slavery in, in our nation, but there was allowed the ability to treat two different people based on the color of their skin differently, and praise God, we changed those laws. But even 50 years later, both blacks to whites and whites to blacks and everything in between, People still hate. People still treat each other poorly and have bigoted attitudes in their soul. And only God can change that. Laws cannot change what goes on in the heart. Jesus changes the heart. And if we change hearts, friends, we change the world. Anybody? Change the world. And so we learn a third thing real quick from Onesimus, and this is amazing. We, we learned that there are no small roles in the kingdom. How <laughs> do you to think about this? Uh, Paul's got these two young guys, Tychius or Tychius and Onesimus, and he's like, "Hey, hey, got a little job for you guys. I want you to take these two letters, one letter to the Church of Colossae, and it's going to deal with the theological drift of the church. And I'm going to give you a second letter. You give it to the leaders there. I'm not even sure he said give it to Philemon because I don't know if that would have got there or not. I don't know. But he's like, I want you to take this letter and you're going to give it to the leaders and the second letter is going to deal with the relational friction inside of the church. And I want you to take it across the world. And, and these guys are like, hey, we can do that. It's no problem. We'll get the forward out and it's going to be great. We're just going to make a road trip out of it. It's going to be sweet. And they probably thought it was no big deal that all they had to do was deliver a lousy letter. Do you realize the Spirit of God has deposited a gift in your hand that could change the world? Do you realize the Spirit of God has placed a call on your heart if you would answer it that could change the heart of a person that could change the heart and the culture around us? There are no small jobs in the kingdom of God. We are to answer the call of God. When he stirs, Yes, God. When he moves, yes, God. No small jobs. And so from Onesimus, we learn God is not done with us. Don't count God out. No way. No way. We, we learn that God changes the heart. The laws follow the heart. And we learn that there are no small roles in the kingdom of God. And so we've been talking about all these behind the scenes people, right? And there are some amazing behind the scenes people. And there are amazing people 2,000 years ago that brought us to the church today. But do you know that there are some amazing people in our church right now who are rocking it behind the scenes and they show up every single week to the game and they say, God, whatever you want, you put this little gift in my hand and I'm going to give it to you. Do you realize that? And I just want to introduce you uh, to, to one of these characters in our little church, Hey, Metro. We are in the middle of our series called Behind the Scenes. And we've been talking about how there are those people who are under the surface, who who kind of make it happen around churches like ours, who who do a tremendous amount of work. You don't see them, but they're the ones who keep it all going. And uh, we are doing something tonight that's kind of crazy. Uh, We're going to honor somebody who serves with you, Toby, over at Alive. We're going to honor him in a big way by giving him a car. Yeah. A sweet car. Crazy. And uh, so, who are we gonna honor tonight? We're giving it to Philly B tonight. Philly B. Yep, Philly B. Philly B, now tell us about Philly B. Philly B, that's Phil Batway if you don't know who that is, but Philly B is someone who serves and alive 100% everything he does.
1: He loves our kids, he loves our ministry, and dude, when you think of Phil, you just know that in your heart that this dude loves Jesus. Yeah. Like, when you think of him and leaders like Phil,
0: there's people who, are visible leaders and then people who kind of make us viable. And he's one of those people that just makes us a viable ministry, you know what I mean? Yeah, and and so Phil has been faithful for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the cool things uh, about Phil is that he doesn't have a car at all. And he has been walking to church and walking to his job Forever, I mean, just forever. And so, uh, it, this is just gonna literally change his life. And I'm gonna tell you something, uh, he has helped change the lives of a whole bunch of kids, even yeah. though he's never stepped on the stage, he doesn't talk, he doesn't preach, he doesn't do music, but Phil is behind the, yeah. the changing of so many lives. And so, uh, right behind these doors, Alive is going, and uh, we are gonna take these kids, and here's what we're doing, this is crazy. Uh, we are gonna, we're gonna trick Phil. We're gonna send Phil out of the room, and we're going to like say, Phil, we got we to gotta go have you do something. And so Phil's going to go out of the room, and uh, Chris is going to tell the, 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 the teens that we're going to go out to the back lot, and we're going to do the whole high five tunnel, and all that kind of stuff. And then Phil's not going to know what hit him, because he's just going to come out. And he's gonna, like, what's everybody outside for? And he's going to go right out, and boom, there's a new car. <laughs> so yep. let's go check it out. I have a surprise. Phil, where's Phil?
1: Phil! Phil, 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 Phil. Hey, I need I need my backpack. It's in, hold on, it's back that way, in the offices. Uh, can you grab it real quick? Okay, grab, if Toby might know where it is too, but grab it. No one move. Hold on. Okay, so no one move. So Phil, uh, hold, run fast, Phil. Where'd he go? Oh, Phil, 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 Phil. Okay, so, hey, okay, everyone, listen, 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 listen. You guys remember the love movement? Remember that? Well, look, we're about to give away a car to Phil. Okay, so, oh, oh, yes, yes, hold on, hold on, we got, okay, listen, so, here's what's going to happen. Outside on the patio, and listen, listen, what we want to do is right out of the doors, we're going to make the, like, whole, like, tunnel thing, right, for Phil, and then as it goes, we're going to get around the car, okay? So, everyone go right now, Go. (laughs) What is going through your mind? I don't know. Do you remember the love movement, 2K17? Yes, I do. Dude, well, we love you, man, and you serve us, and Jesus so faithfully. But, dude, we thought you were the perfect fit for this car. So this is your brand new car, man. (laughs) Give it up, time he's here from his home and that's how much he loves you guys that's how much he loves this church and Phil we love you buddy and uh, we've been stalking you a little bit and uh, kind of found you around because we know you have a heart of gold man and uh, and this is why uh, we do what we do is for people like you to meet Jesus and then get in the game and be part of God's story so we love you buddy and uh, enjoy